Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you are a person that grows up in like a Nerf reality where it's always bumper bowling and everything is you're always safe, you're always protected, you are the most dangerous consciousness and body to exist in as an adult because you haven't had any of that callousing and strengthening and that inevitably is going to manifest when people are like, if you do hang around comedians, their thing is tearing each other down. Like let's just back and forth. If you grew up like New Jersey or like, you know, New York or a lot of places, Boston, places in the East coast, especially where it's like, if I love you, I'm going to tear you down. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I was listening to a thing from John Jones last night, USC fighter guy. And he, one of the things that he was mentioning in there, which might sound a little bit ridiculous. He was saying, when I'm punching somebody in the face or kicking the crap out of somebody, I see it as actually a loving, compassionate thing to do. One, because we're painting this story together and whatnot. But the way mm-hmm. that he said it was that I'm, I'm beating the weakness out of them. All right, Look Up listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Look Up podcast. I'm your host, Mark Weinstein. Uh, today is Thursday, March 11th, as I record the introduction to this conversation that I had with today's guest, Aaron Alexander, last week. And hopefully, we'll release this episode next Wednesday. Uh, so, this should be coming into your ear holes on March 17th. First off, just want to, um, you know, just mention that you may have noticed that the episode release schedule has been a little bit inconsistent lately. Uh, I have joined the On Deck Podcaster Fellowship earlier this year, and that's added a lot of growth, a lot of learning um, to improve the show, to help me get better guests, to bring on sponsors and partners, to improve the marketing across social media channels. And it's just an incredible journey, an incredible group. I'm so grateful to On Deck and the program that they created for us, but it's also added a lot of hours of learning and education in addition to the full-time job working in the cryptocurrency industry, which some of you um, should know by now is where I spend most of my time. And there Therefore, the uh, the newsletters and podcasts have kind of been coming in a bit more slowly, but starting to ramp up again, starting to bring on more guests, and just really excited to just level up the content that we're creating here at Look Up. So thank you all for following along. Thank you all for your patience. Thank you all for supporting the show. And just really, really appreciate you being on this journey with me in this exploration of what it means to be human today. Aaron Alexander, today's guest, friend of mine from Venice, incredible human uh, the creator of the Align Method, uh, which is a six-week program to getting your body right, to healing your pain, um, and building significant movement. Aaron is a podcast host as well. He has the Align Podcast, and he wrote a book on his method called The Align Method, Five Movement Principles for a Stronger Body, Sharper Mind, and Stress-Proof Life. I've seen much of Aaron's work. Uh, It's super interesting. The principles of movement that he brings into his everyday life from simple tasks like sitting uh, cross-legged, rather than in your chair or changing your body position throughout the day. 
and using dynamic full body movements rather than short, kind of sharp, your standard in-gym activities. Uh, Aaron speaks in this episode a little bit about his journey into the body and more importantly, we talk about his journey into self because one of the cool things about Aaron and one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on the show is that he is a philosopher. I mean, he, through his study of the body and physiology and how you can manipulate your physiological state to improve your mental well-being, he's then dived deep on philosophy, mental health. And we talk a lot about this. We talk about what it means to be a human, uh, a man specifically today uh, in today's cultural economic environment. We actually dive a little bit into some stereotypes that are mentioned on the show, actually like, you know, talk about high school and, and being a bro. It's a really cool episode. I think as Aaron mentions, like, you know, we kind of moved away from what is his core area of expertise. And uh, that's partially on me, but I think that we just had an interesting kind of meandering conversation that went in a bunch of different directions. I learned a ton. Uh, I hope that you will too. And I really hope that Aaron will consider coming back on the show again to talk more about uh, his movement principles and his book. So without further ado, I bring you Aaron Alexander. All right. Well, here we go. Aaron Alexander, thank you so much for coming on the Look Up podcast. I appreciate you, brother. Of course. Appreciate you. Thanks for, thanks for making time to, to do it. No worries. So, Aaron, you are the host of the Align Method podcast. So you have Align your, Podcasts. Not Align, Align Podcast and the creator of the Align Method and author of the book, The Align Method. A lot to talk about here. I wanted to kind of get started with a question about movement what are most of us today missing when it comes to movement or what are we doing wrong in our day-to-day -day lives that we can simply fix? The body doesn't love repetition. And so it loves repetition to a certain degree to be able to learn. But when you get excessively repetitive, you start to decline in things like from a cognitive perspective, um, neuroplasticity, the mm -hmm. body or the mind uh, which you can get in a, a longer conversation of what mind means in the first place, repeatedly goes through the same patterns, or, and it, especially if it becomes proficient at something, which indicatively it would be if you're doing the same thing over and over again, that would, you're going to become proficient with it. It ends up kind of putting yourself, you like build dams around mm -hmm. your, your, your joints in a way. You know, so when you're sitting in the same position, you're in that forward head posture, you're roll forward shoulders, staring at the phone and doing the desk stuff, your hips are at 90 degrees and your knees and your ankles and all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with any of those positions for short spurts, like mm -hmm. sitting on a chair, looking at your phone, all of it's perfectly fantastic. Uh, the issue comes when that becomes 90% of your movement patterning, and then you start becoming rigid and stiff and you know, you literally start to, to build up calcifications. It's like literally dams in and around your connective tissue mm. uh, that cr end up creating more blockages. You know, so when you get dry tissue as a product of not taking it through a full range of motion, you know, the, the rich get richer and the, the poor get poor. Healthy tissue, hydrated tissue continues that cycle of hydration and, and health and wellness. When you start to get dried up, 
from going through those repetitive movement patterns, like just sitting on your chair all day and buses and trains and you know all the, all the automobiles and couches and everything. Yeah. Um, you start to become dehydrated in those specific areas, and then that backs up more and more and more. And then you have things like you know inflammation and various different disorders. So the main issue is just uh, excessive repetition of movements that were dysfunctional in the first place. You know, so dysfunction would be taking the body into you know a misaligned position and taking it out of its its balanced centrated position centrated just like finding that center point within the joints mm. you know, so you're taking the, the joints out of those positions and then you are repetitively moving through an imbalanced position and then the body starts to become almost like a like a, a prison in a way you get stuck inside of yourself and so that's what we do with align method that's what you know the intention of the align podcast and you know, the, the programs that we do and and all the training that we do essentially is helping create the spaciousness, the fluidity, the hydration throughout all of these band up places throughout the body, and then creating subtle changes in one's lifestyle. So that just their existence in their body, um, keeps them, keeps them moist, <laughs> keeps them hydrated, <laughs> keeps them, them balanced. I just love to, to, to integrate the term moist into Moist is Any one of those words that like I moist and yeast, uh, those two words, there's something about like that, that vowel sound this at the end that just, it gets me, gets me every time. Um, are you, um, are you sitting in a chair right now and do you ever sit in chairs or are you currently at a standing desk? I just saw you move. So I'm, I'm, getting... jacking, I'm jacking the desk, right? Desk up right now, actually. You're jacking it up. So you have one of the desks up. up and down. Sure. I sit all the time. Seems great. Nothing wrong with it. Um, the big thing with, with sitting, ideally, is one, there's a way to effectively sit in a chair like a, like a normal person in quotations or a normal Western person. Uh, and it'd still be perfectly fine for your postural panner, patterns and the mechanics of your hips and spine, etc. The a main takeaway that people could tinker with would just be making sure that their hips are up above the height of their knees when they're sitting down. If you are sitting down in a position where your your tail kind of tucks under into that like sad puppy dog position, like you did something, dog did something wrong and their person's <laughs> got a newspaper and they're like, oh shit, they'll kind of tuck that pelvis and go into this, this scared bracing for impact type position. I'm like adjusting my hips as you're speaking right now to get my tailbone up and out. Yeah, that's what happens. Typically, hopefully when I walk into a room, 90% of the room becomes a little bit more uncomfortable. And that's, that's my, that's like me leaving an imprint on this planet. Uh, you know, so when you put your, your hips into that position, again, nothing wrong with going into the, like a deep flexed spinal sacral position. You know, it's a fetal position. It's like really important. Um, and it's a great position being while you're sleeping you know, for, for helping to, to be able to circulate and move that cerebral spinal fluid and just allow your spine and all the connective tissue around that to, to relax. But if you are in that fetal position all day long or 80% mm. of your day, that goes against being able to express power through your body. So you would never want to deadlift in a position like that. You wouldn't want to squat in a position like that. If you were say a, a football lineman, you wouldn't want to press up against your opponent from that position because you're going to you're going to cave in, collapse and probably blow a disc. Hmm. So throughout the day, you can put yourself into more of a, a ready 
stance or ready postural patterns, which will literally trickle back into the way that you think and the way that you feel. You know, so there's various different research from, you know, one of the, the, the more obvious ones was, was stuff that came out of Harvard with Amy Cuddy. She had a really popular TED Talk. Um, and there's also some contention around the research. Was she, was she did, the like, one that was talking, speaking about like putting your body in certain postures, like taking your hands on your hips in the Superman position? Yeah, the power one, power poses and all that stuff. There's a lot of different research around that. She was, she was one of the ones that became the most popular and also contentious um, just out of its popularity. But one of the things that, that she had found within her research, they had, they had measured saliva samples from various different subjects, and they put one group into the, the hunched over position that I'm describing, mm-hmm. and another group in this, you know, hands on the side, shoulders back, you know, in like more of like a ready, ready stance, confident stance. And what they found in the saliva samples was that the, the individuals that were in that upright posture would actually just within two minutes would end up increasing the testosterone levels and decreasing their their stress hormones. Cortisol was the, the the primary one that they were measuring. And then the inverse would happen with the people that were in that kind of like sad puppy dog. You know, if you if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life, he gets into the sad lobster position as well. Okay, so when a lobster loses a fight it will end up literally cause it'll change them at a, a mental, emotional and postural level. And then from that point forward, they'll kind of maintain this new posture and also kind of this new position in the social hierarchy. And there'll be a, a neurochemical hormonal translation to all of that as well. So the way that you're producing yourself from a hormonal level, from a neurochemical level is bootstrapped or tied into the manner in which you inhabit your, your postural patterns as well. So it's pretty cool. You know, the, the connections. Yeah, it's, it's very, very cool. That was super interesting. I, um, how did you first get into exploring movement and, you know, our physiology and all of this? So I started personal training at LA fitness when I was, 16. That was like my first job when I was 16. I became really obsessed with bodybuilding. Were, like, were you always an athlete? Like, were you always, you know, you were a personal trainer at 16. So you must have already I been obsessed in with body, bodybuilding, which turned into the personal training stuff. So I was playing ice hockey and stuff growing up, but then got really into bodybuilding when I was like really young. I, I grew up super insecure. And I, you know, in my book, I describe myself as like a, like a confused baby giraffe body. And that was just my life. <laughs> all over the place. And I was very tall and lanky and bowl cut and buck teeth and like the whole thing. Let's continue on. So you were super into bodybuilding. You know, you were, you were confused. You had, you had limbs flying everywhere. Your bowl cut and your butt. Everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, like, so then you start bodybuilding. It gives you some level of confidence, some muscle. You're feeling good. By the way, I also started bodybuilding when I was 12. Um, oh, so weird. Why? Obsessed. Uh, I was obsessed with weightlifting. I wanted to be strong, partially because I grew up in a town where there were Jewish kids, there were Italian kids, there were Irish kids, there were black kids. And, you know, as a Jew, I had a chip on my shoulder thinking that, you know, Jews had this, um, you know, this stigma that we were physically weak, right? Like, not like Israeli Jews are very proud, very confident, like, believe that they're strong, you know, they're fighters, but American Jews often come from this place of like, we're cerebral, 
we're sensitive, but we're not strong. And so I wanted to be, I wanted to be strong. I wanted to fade that. I always like, you know, pretended I was Italian with my homies in, in high school. They called me yep. Stino. Uh, they added an O Stino. Yeah. So nice. it's, uh, I, just, yeah, I was called erroneous. It's not even, it's not, it's kind of the opposite. Stino sounds quite powerful. I like that. It's I, I would take it. I yeah, received Stino. They also called me the alpha Jew on my wrestling team for a year, which I think that was like kind of offensive. Right. Mm. That was like, you know, it was, it was. Oh, alpha Jew? No, that. that's like, that's like, that's like retard strength. That's yeah. Like, well, they were saying like, he's strong for a Jew, you know, like, like that. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to go here in this conversation, but like we're here. in hindsight, that was, that was, that was actually offensive because it was basically saying like, oh wow, like for a Jew, you're actually strong. And that was the whole thing I was trying to like fight against why I did wrestling, why I played lacrosse, why, I, you know, wanted to be an athlete and be strong. Um, you gotta be open to humor. You know, that's, that's like, uh, I think Rogan's his last or one of his comedy specials, I think it was called, I think Hayoka is the term. It's a Lakota term, mean, meaning sacred clown. Not, I'm pretty sure Hayoka. I think Hayoka, Hayoka is it. But the sacred clown part is, is, is for sure. And the, the sacred clown in Lakota culture, and this has happened in, in various different cultures, you know, like jesters, court jesters and such. Yeah. They have, they're an incredibly, you know, modern day comedians are an incredibly important part of the the health and functionality of a culture because it allows the, the diffusion and, and decompression of some of those pent up, charged, dark, sticky, festering aspects of the, the common the collective. The collective consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so there's certain things like to be able to spin that experience, like, like Alpha Jew or whatever, uh, for that to be able to receive that is like, oh, this is hilarious because I'm ultimately, I'm not a Jew. I am ultimately connected with everything. You know, I, I, when I'm looking at another person, I'm looking at myself, looking back at myself, looking back at myself, like mm -hmm. I am a continuation of the whole thing. So if I really deeply identify with, I am Jew, you are Christian, you are this, you are that. I think that idea, the premise of that idea is faulty in the first place. And so to be able to come to a point where we can poke fun and uh, you know, bring light to these separations and differences, mm. um, I think is actually incredibly healthy. But it takes a very, uh, I think, evolved, mature perception of the human experience to get to the point where you can start to be the first to, to kind of poke fun at yourself and not take it personally. So... One, I agree with most of what you're saying. You know, I actually am reading this book about manhood called King Warrior, Magician Lover. And, you know, the chat, the part about the magician um, speaks to kind of like the jester and his role in the court of basically when shit got a little bit too serious or like the king was starting to get a little too egoistic. You know, the jester and everybody was kind of groveling to him. The jester would come in and just fart. So it'd be like literal diffusion, part. you know, yep. like literal. You mentioned, I think, just like almost like. You said the word diffusion, but it's like literally letting air out of the room um, yeah. is physical. I think so. I agree. I think comedians in a culture where comedians are are, are shunned and canceled um, for their work, that's a slippery slope. Like in China, you can't use the, the archetype or the character of Winnie the Pooh because Xi Jinping was offended that people called him Winnie the Pooh. And so that was totally banned. You know, one of the benefits of the country that we live in or, you know, has been 
is that we can poke fun at power and it's perfectly acceptable yeah. Yeah. Um, regardless of what the power structure of that day is. So I agree with that. On the flip side, as someone that like spent many years of his life in like a position of self-deprecation, you know, like I would default to kind of making fun of myself or like in that context of being on the wrestling team where I was like the only Jew, you know, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, alpha Jew, ha ha, like playing into it. I think that there was also like a little bit of a toxicity there because I was promoting stereotypes that are not entirely um, accurate instead of, you know, through my actions now. Maybe in hindsight, like looking back, maybe it was my ability to laugh it off and to be like, whatever, it's all good. And I'm going to put it on the mat to kind of build bridges, because maybe deep down it was changing the psychology of my peers around what it meant to be, you know, a Jewish teenager. But on the flip side, you know, sometimes humor does perpetuate, can perpetuate stereotypes that aren't entirely true. So it's like, I think it needs balance like everything else in life. It's not humor, it's intention. You know, so if my intention is to put you into a box and to mm -hmm. keep you there to create a polarization of, OK, I'm powerful, you're weak. That's the intention of the words that I'm, I'm you know, the sounds that are coming out of my face. Mm -hmm. That's vastly different than the intention being one of diffusion and, and, and lightness. You know, and, and so I think with anything, it's like the person there's everything is yes. And, you know, there's no yeah. binary. Okay. This is right. This is wrong. All those are stories. Those are all constructs. And so if a person uh, grows up in a place where it's like, everything's politically correct, you can't say anything. We've kind of made certain sounds illegal. You know, mm -hmm. That sound that comes out of your face illegal. You can't do that sound. <laughs> You know, you're like, that's, it's like, okay, you know, but now one, we're compressing that sound. We're saying we're, we're feeding power into that sound, you know? And, and I think that another thing within that and, 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 and like, yes, and there can be some things it's like, maybe we need a little time away from that sound. You know, maybe, maybe the, the, yeah. the collective consciousness, the, the, the ties that we have to that, the wound is a little fresh when we penetrate the zeitgeist with that sound, it kind of, it starts re-invoking this thing. We need a little time, you know? So once again, it's, 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 I think it, it comes back to like, you know, there's not a binary, binary solution for anything, but if you are a person that grows up in like a nerf reality where it's always bumper bowling and everything is, you're always safe, you're always protected. You are the most dangerous consciousness and body to exist in as an adult. Because you haven't had any of that callousing and strengthening and that's that inevitably is going to manifest when people are like, if you do hang around comedians, their thing is, is tearing each other down. Like they, let's just back and forth. If you grew up like in New Jersey or like, you know, New York or a lot of places, Boston, places in the East Coast, especially where it's like, if I love you, I'm going to tear you down, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I was listening to a thing from John Jones last night, uh, USC fighter guy. And one of the things that he was mentioning in there, which might sound a little bit ridiculous, but he was saying when I'm like punching somebody in the face or kicking the crap out of somebody, I see it as actually a loving, compassionate thing to do. One, because we're painting this story together and whatnot. But the way that he said it was that I'm, I'm beating the weakness out of them. And so if they present him with the opportunity to get beaten in this, they're, they're clearly electing to be be you know fighting each other mm. 
they present the opportunity. That's a weakness. That's a hole in their armor. John Jones comes in, kapoof. And it's like, now, okay, now you learn. Or the other place would be John Jones is like, oh, I don't want violence, you know, all that stuff. I see the weakness there and we're just going to not touch it. Then the weakness just sticks around. You know, so I think there's like, there's like a, a balance between being effective with knowing when it's appropriate to poke on the armor and when, and also reciprocally knowing when it's like, oh no, no, no. Like this person has no armor. They have open wounds. What they need is they need to learn how to start to develop a little bit more callus and a little bit more armor without me destroying them right now. You know, and so in, in like in psychological terms, you could call it yeah. that pendulation. You know, so if you're pendulating a a a client or a person, you're saying, okay, cool, you're well resourced. You're in a place that we can take you deeper into your shit, and you're going to start to feel like, oh my god, I'm starting to feel maybe this like catharsis. I'm going out like, oh. Oh, okay, it's starting to get a little too intense where now we're just re-perpetuating a trauma because mm-hmm. you're feeling unresourced and you're feeling like I'm like I'm not able to make make any any reason of this. I'm just going into chaos. Okay, ooh, let's pull you back, take you back into a safe place. We'll maybe put a weighted blanket on you or you know, maybe give you a little, little warm cup of chamomile tea or you know, pull out of that. And then we make make some sense of what that was. And say, cool, how are, are you good? How, like, where are you at? Okay, cool, let's go back up to the boundaries. And so I think it, having a, a healthy awareness of how to oscillate or pendulate in and out of one's boundaries, I think ultimately that's going to be the healthiest culture, the healthiest individual, the healthiest family, the healthiest friend group, the healthiest business, the healthiest social media platform. You know, so it's, I don't think any of it can be so binary. It's like, we just, we just can't do that anymore ever because it's socially unacceptable yeah i think i think the the balance is so key so to your point about the yes and you know like one thing i think um you know being a fraternity in college as an example or like growing up you know just like with homies we would always we would always rip on each other and that was like the culture but I do think there's an there's a there's a you know a, there was never enough space for like the opposite which I think is kind of quasi lacking in, in relationships between men um, these days is like that space to like then get vulnerable and like hold safety for that vulnerability where, you know, the, the idea of how men should interact is always like with the armor up, with the, with the t- tough skin up and then like, oh, just take the joke. Don't be so sensitive. Right. And I think that there is a lot of damage from that, too. So I like the concept of pendulation you know, when it comes to um, relationship and when it comes to culture, being able to to hold space for both, being able to say, you know, it's important to gain to earn thick skin. Um, this book, again, talks about ritual, right? The one that we just referenced before with the Jungian archetypes and how one of the reasons why we live in the culture we do is because men don't go through that ritual to transition from boyhood to manhood or they go through yeah. quasi rituals. Um, and that hardens, you know, that hardens a man and prepares him for life, uh, in a way that maybe we don't have today. And then on the flip side, there's also like a sensitivity, right? Like that he would describe these rituals and afterwards, then the rest of the men of the community would come and take care of you after that fact. Right. And there would be, you know, maybe yeah. even like the feminine archetype of care 
um, that was embodied by the group of men. So it's, uh, it's definitely important to have both. And I think, you know, I think it's, it's, it's ironic that in our culture, which has been driven by, you know, many, you know, many um, on the far left or on the left would say like this patriarchy, right? And the, the word the patriarchy can be, can, can be triggering in itself. Um, you know, as a, as a white cisgender, cisgender man, you know, like, um, hearing that word, it's like, what did I do? You know, like why just for being me, am I, am I being, am I being attacked for being that? Um, but I think, you know, that's on the one hand we have that. And then on the other hand, you know, we have this hypersensitivity as well. You know, like the idea of the patriarchy does exist. The idea of toxic masculinity does exist and it it needs balancing. But then it's interesting how this other sphere of consciousness has arisen over the last really like five years or so where, you know, this cancel culture, this like lack of sense of humor, you know, lack of ability to say things like Jew on <laughs> on a podcast when you're describing a Jew who's sitting in front of you, you know. <laughs> well, now I, now, I, now I know. Yeah. Well, no, I'm learning. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's it's just an interesting space that we that we embody today as you know, as a collective in, in the West. Um, you need to have you need to have both, you know, and so that's that's like the, the integrated masculine or the integrated feminine ultimately is comfortable with both sides of the coin. You know, and so if you are, you know, there's 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 light and there's day and there's yin and there's yang and there's dark and there's light and there's like it's being comfortable flipping between both of those sides of yes i can be super casual callous bullshitty and that's great like that's i think that's a really important characteristic which sometimes especially people within like the kind of enlightened Venice. spiritual new age Venice vibe, <laughs> it's like i'm Venice. too spiritual to you know, have a dick joke every now and again or i was like calm down <laughs> you know, like Ram Ram Das, he has a thing. Maybe Ram Das. Ram Das is Ram Das. Yeah, he's a thing where he's, he's talking about one of his teachers was busting his balls about coming into this human incarnation and being so wrapped up in the spiritual game that you're missing the curriculum of being a human. You know, it's like lighten up. You know, like have a beer. It's like it's like it's okay. You know, I, I think that that uh, you know having that that balance of one lightening up, have a beer, you know, bust somebody's balls, you know, being comfortable with that gear, equally having just as much strength in the other side of like, you know, I'm wow, I'm you know a big strong man, masculine bro dude, and uh, this is making me feel emotional. You know, this conversation or. You know, whatever it may be, like I'm, I'm crying. Like, look at this. Look at what's happening in my my human suit. You know, there's there's tears coming out. Like, I'm, I'm tapping into some well inside of me, and I'm not ashamed about it. You know, this just is. And so I, I think that, and that's not a person could express themselves in lots of different ways and discharge traumatic events, whatever it may be. And maybe they yawn. You know, maybe they go for a run. Maybe they dance. Maybe. They cry, maybe they laugh, maybe they, there's a lot of different ways. I think that you don't get more emotional, spiritual Venice points if you like cry a lot. Like that's that's one person's way of purging and decompressing and, and tapping into something deeper. Um, but ultimately, I think it's just being comfortable with whatever is, whatever comes up. 
and not trying too hard to be wrapped up in any one suit, but just being comfortable with, with, oh, now this is coming up and I don't feel shame about it. And so that's, I think that's for me is like, ultimately people just want to be themselves, but I think we don't really know. Most people don't know what it means to even be yourself because we're so wrapped up in so many layers of who we think we're supposed to be. I'm in process with it personally. You know, where are you at? Where where are you at with your human suit? What do you think? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes envious of people that can cry very easily. I feel like it'd be much more cathartic to be able to just like, let it go in that way. The you constitution know, of tears is different than that, than that of I got, you know, I'm chopping onions. The tears are, it's, it's literally like a, like a harm or hormonal uh, release valve. You know, so if you look at tears, there's going to be um, just a completely different hormonal constitution than, than that of, oh, I just got something in my eye. It's pretty cool. You look yeah, at humans, like mean, the, like the when I do cry, I feel fantastic afterwards. Like, I'm like, you know, I want to do this more often. It's great. Um, the the mechanical engineering of or the biological engineering of the human suit is really cool and so that would be an example where if you were creating some type of uh vehicle and you say oh shoot like there's 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 too much nitrogen in the fuel or whatever it may be we need that we need the purge valve they would say okay cool like you know Tesla of the future da, 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 does some coordinates and then it <laughs> off gases a little bit of nitrogen. And it's like, it's like, wow, what a cool thing the, the, the human suit, the human organism machine has a similar setup with that similar thing with like, um, uncomfortable laughter or, or yawning mm-hmm. or, um, you know, sometimes if, if, if a, an animal in nature, there's an interesting book from, uh, Robert Sapolsky called Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, which is fantastic. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, but in that in that book, just the concept of the the, the you know the, the title alone, zebras don't get ulcers because when they get chased down by a lion, they have this near death experience. After that, they go through this this purgative, cathartic, tremorous release. Mm. Of that traumatic experience and they find a shady place and they kind of like, like, like wiggle it out. I mean, there's more to it than that. There's also, you know, their circadian rhythm and their natural tendency towards, you know, their perfect union with nature mm. keeps them to be healthy organisms, you know? So in order for them to procure food or sex or shelter, they're turning all of their gears that would naturally expend any of the old, you know, blockages or metabolites or any of the different kind of like buildups in the body, just their existence makes them a healthier organisms. Their existence becomes both purgative and restorative. Does that make sense? The way that I'm Yeah, it, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why, like, you know, we're talking about crying, but it's one of the reasons why I think actually like dancing, is so, is so important, you know, and, and you, you know, you're some of the moves that you're doing at the gym that I see on your IG, like there, there's kind of like a flow to them as well. Like, it's like a dance, you know, but I, I think that I, I do think that we kind of like have the, the stiff lip syndrome as, as humans right now, where there's not enough, maybe appreciation of like, you know, what movement, even like in a yoga class or like a Pilates class or, you know, going to the gym, there's like very rigid, stiff um, activity. And so like that, 
the movement that you described for the zebra to like actually clear that trauma out of their system and also do it really quickly. You know, like that's, that's one thing that I also don't think we do. Like humans like take time to like intellectually process shit before we give our nervous system the opportunity to actually like clear. More like intellectually bypass shit. Yeah. So, but, so you can, you can wrap or one can, I can wrap myself in all the intellectual roundabout loophole knots for days and never actually get into the deep visceral sensation of that shame, pain, fear, whatever the sensation was. I can tell, well, it was because of this and it was this and this and, and, you know, Jungian archetypes and all these different things. Yeah, it's, you and, get but, super ahead. But, but then all of a sudden you maybe do a, a breathwork class or you, you know, scream or you, you yeah. do some, something that causes your, your body to shift into those, those deeper, more like primordial layers. That's where all the information is. You know, so most of us, I mean, we get formed by our environment. We get formed by our, our culture. We get formed by our education system. And it, it teaches us how to conduct ourselves. You know, and, and there's a socialist. Alvin, Alvin Toffler has a quote. I might mess it up. But it says, the illiterate of the 21st century won't be those who can't read and write. They'll be those who can't learn, unlearn, and relearn. You know, so when you grow up, as a, a child, you start off in this is pretty open vessel. You know, you, you're pretty, you're, you're like, you're pretty continuous with nature. You know, if I got to poop, I poop. If I got to pee, I got I pee. If I've got emotions, I emote. You know, if I, if I, if I need to move, I need to wiggle. I just move and wiggle. And, you know, it's like, it's like my, that connection to those deeper healing mechanisms, those little whispers that say, my liver needs this. My gallbladder needs this. My prostate needs this. My throat needs this. My eyes need this. My brain needs this. Mm-hmm. It's like that's it's one to one. You're like, okay, hey, here we go. Stretching this direction, opening this direction, crying because I need food. You know, but then we start to learn how we're supposed to be or how we should be. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes one level of kind of almost like a like a knot in a way, or it can become a knot if it gets uh-huh. stuck, you know, and then we start to go, there's a, then we go to maybe a new school or a new kind of like social click or, you know, social media cancel culture. Okay. I got to be more politically correct. Okay. Don't say Jew, you know, and it's, it's these <laughs> continual layers. So it's like figuring out, okay, how do we navigate and understand that if there's a red light, I stop. And if it's a green light, I go. So I'm not just full spacious rainbow body. Uh, but also be tapped into those deeper sensations of, okay, what does my, what does my, my liver need right now? What does my, you know, what do I, my emotions need right now? What is, what is these, these deep, deeper layers need? And I'm not blocked so, so deeply wrapped up in like the game that I'm kind of blocked from what I need at a deeper level. This is a very kind of, I'm going to like nebulous terrain. Hopefully this is supportive in some way. No, it's not. It's not nebulous. I think it's super important. I think, you know, it's it's this constant battle. Like you mentioned Ram Das, and he speaks about socialization as an important element of becoming, you know, a human. But you basically learn from a young age behaviors that are punished or rewarded 
And so your your entire experience goes from one that's driven from internal compulsions and maybe what one could call nature or natural towards an experience driven by external stimuli. I do this, then I get that. I do this, then I don't get that, right? Like I'm cared for when I am jovial. I'm punished when I move too much in indoors or shout. And that's important on like a societal level because we need norms to conduct ourselves. But then the process of like really evolving, according to him, is then to unlearn that socialization and rediscover yourself. And that can be really hard. So you asked earlier, like, you know, how it's going for me, my experience in this meat body. You know, I, I think psychedelics are another area that, you know, are oft talked about on podcasts. And like, you know, for some reason, there's this connection between people that like to do podcasts and people that talk about psychedelics. I don't know what it is. But, you know, like one thing that I do enjoy about psychedelics is they can certain um substances like psilocybin mushrooms have the capacity to take you out to take me out of my mind and into my body right and i spend so much time in digital worlds that i'm just in a constant cerebral state whether it be on my phone for work or email or reading or whatever you know we're not in our bodies most of most people are not in their bodies most of the time which is a weird thing to say because we exist within our bodies but we're not feeling them you know and like it's hard for me um, personally to drop into my body uh, in any given moment outside of like a workout or a yoga class. And I question if it's enough, you know, if that if that one hour a day that most of us are getting and oftentimes in like a rigid class, like even yoga can be rid can become rigid, um, which I think is an irony of, of yoga asana practice is that, you know, it can become pattern and routine and you know, unhealthy in the way that you mentioned, where your body is just basically doing the same movements over and over, reinforcing the dams, so to speak, Um, especially without proper guidance, without someone to help you kind of adjust yourself. And so, so I hear you. Yoga asana, like Western accepted yoga asana is, is, can become super rigid. Uh, With anything, it's not, the, the dogma itself or the modality itself, it's the specific practitioner. You know, Bruce Lee said that well, or, you know, the, the, the individual is, is bigger than the dogma. It's bigger than the, than the system. And so having that openness, it's like, cool, sweet. I'm, I'm within the confines of this structure. You know, Bikram would be an example of that, which, you know, he's, he's a funny character, but that would be an example where it's very kind of like militant, just do it. You know, we don't care about how, your body feels or you know what's your if you if you like this position you don't like this position just just do the system yeah and i don't hate that i'm not mad at that because there's certain things that but again it's a yes and so there's going to be more to it but there's certain times where it's like you know if i am a person that's addicted to sugar or crack and i just follow my intuition you know your intuition is going to say more crack more sugar you know, so I think there is a certain value of, of knowing when, of knowing got, when, what I've got, I've got to just stop for a second because I, um, I think the importance of friends that can call you out on your bullshit is so huge to that point of the sugar. I had this phrase that I was using over like the last like eight months 
where I would talk about something that I inherently knew was like potentially a negative or not good for me. And then I would follow it by saying, but like, and I feel like I have to just honor that, you know, it was like this, like woo -woo Venice kind of idea of like honoring the full spectrum of emotions. And my friend, like two months ago, my best friend, Alex, shout out to Alex, like called me out and he was like, you know, I noticed that you only say that with things that are, you know, potentially harmful to you. <laughs> like, mm, like you just need to honor that impulse to eat a bunch of fucking donuts at night. Like, no, like uh, that, right. you don't have to honor that. You know, that's just yeah. a cop out. Yeah. So, well, sometimes that sometimes the, 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 the treasure is on most times the treasure is on the other side of discomfort. And if you keep on following what your your what's comfortable and normal and you know the 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 kind of patterns that you've already been turning into ruts and you just keep on running that because now it's like that's it, it intuitively it just feels having a, a you know a, a fast of some sort if it's if food is your thing maybe try fasting to start to clear the palate a little bit to start to regain a new relationship you know because there's just the water was too murky there's no way to actually feel into the intuition intuitive part because you know it was just there's so much chaos in that system i can't i couldn't see through but within the following you know the, the bikram example i think sometimes there is value in just closing your eyes and saying cool trust the teacher trust the dogma trust the thousands of years of you know been handing down the, the different books and literature and such okay cool just close my eyes trust it go in see what's on the other side of this you know, I think that that there is something really valuable to that. Um, and there's also something quite valuable to being alone, being in darkness, being in stillness, being in, in your own space. Ultimately, yoga, you know, the, the word means connection. And so, and the intention of asana is to shimmy your hips a little bit so you can sit longer for meditation. And so I think a lot of the stuff that we're trying to do in the form of fitnessing ourselves or thinking ourselves or any of those kind of more young, active based approaches at living, if we do permit ourselves the space to go deeper into that, that stillness, which it could be like a literal stillness of just meditating for a long time or with regularity or some like metaphoric stillness of just maybe listening more. Um, stepping back, observing more. Uh, that's the integrated masculine feminine being able to alternate between both of those sides. Um, I think a lot of perhaps all of the answers exist within that space. If you give yourself the time to kind of come in and if there's tension in, in your body, meditation, en enough of it, enough stillness potentially can start to unfurl some of those layers of where those deeper contractions are manifesting in the first place. You know, and that's like, have you ever done Vipassana meditation or, or are you familiar with it? Yeah, like a 10 day sit. Familiar sit with thing. Vipassana, have never sat for a Vipassana retreat before. So, so with that, the, there's a guy called Gwenka who he's like the main fellow that popularized it. Mm -hmm. Very wealthy, wealthy guy in India. And he is, one of his primary gifts or contributions to the world was um, setting up these Vipassana centers and making it all donation based. Anyone has interest in, in such a thing, like go to, I think it's Vipassana. Uh, I don't remember what, but just look at Vipassana. Yeah, we'll, we'll add it to the show notes. Yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It's a very cool experience. It's They're typically 
booked out. So you book it out like three months in advance and which that's a cool thing too. Cause once you press book, your Vipassana starts. Yeah. It's a mm-hmm. similar thing. Like you referenced, I you know, reference ayahuasca, but psychedelics, mushrooms, whatever. Yeah. Once you, once you, you know, March 25th, <laughs> 2000, whatever, I'm going to do a sit with whatever this thing is from that point forward, the sit starts, you know, like the, like the medicine ceremony begins because now you start organizing your mind and your life around, okay, like what kind of skeletons, well, not just the dieta, what kind of skeletons do I have in my closet? Because I know that there's a, a, a pretty reasonable chance that they'll be presented during that six hour experience. And so I, I, I prefer to start kind of like cleaning, cleaning house because I don't want to have a rough go during that time. That's, that's, that's how I am at least with it. I feel like as soon as I pick a date, if you're doing a competition, cool, I'm going to fight, you know, mentioned John Jones, UFC. Cool. We, we scheduled, signed the contract, got a fight in, in three months. Cool. The fight just started, you know, because now every day I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm organizing my life around that point. What was I talking about? I don't know. I don't know. We were just going out there. I mean, I think we only have five minutes left because um, you have a hard stop. So, um, I'm, I'm inclined to ask because it's something that I've struggled with um, over over my life. Like, do you have mentors? I'd like more of them. I have a lot of friends that have become mentor-like, thankfully. Like people that I'm like, whoa, like you're really doing cool stuff. Like, hey, <laughs> I don't know why you get any value hanging out with me, but like, damn. You know, and so that's that's very cool to have people that, um, I really super respect and appreciate and would aspire to be more like, uh, and being able to reach out to them and, you know, have, have questions and, you know, all that, like have lunch books, you know, so that's like the standard, I have a lot of like, like dead mentors. A lot of the stuff that I say is any kind of realm of like spiritual consciousness, whatever is kind of like regurgitations or amalgamations of Alan Watts and yeah. Ross and Krishnamurti and you know different folks like that. What's the most out there, out there shit that you've done for your body, for your for your health? Hmm. A lot of things, you know, wrapped up around my toilet, doing coffee enemas by myself. Oh God! <laughs> What's that like? I've never done it. I've never done one of these before. One of these uh, coffee enemas or colon cleanses or proficient version. I was just fucking YouTubing it. You know, and just, <laughs> just, so that was, that was I was living in Boulder, Colorado. No, no, seven years ago. I haven't done one since. I should do one. Um, I've had some colonics since then. I'm not sure. I'm not sold on, on that. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that it's like it makes sense to be shooting different products in your in your bum hole and filling up your intestines. Like I'm not against it either, but I'm kind of like Ugh. I try to veer towards things that would happen in nature yeah you know? so me curled up around a toilet with a tube up my ass and like a you know a, a bag of coffee up in the sink pouring into my my system i'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like just three days back. i think i just got the cover photo for the episode yeah <laughs> the, the three-day fast which like trying to clear the whole thing out and each morning i would do a uh what do they call it a salt salt flush i think is what they call it where you put like, you know, a buttload of way too much salt into, into a, a warm beverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
like a big old, you know, like a couple liter bottle of water, way too much salt. You drink the whole entire thing. It makes you, it makes you crap your pants. Like you just like full, like full flush. Whoa. Did that each day and then kind of led up into the, the coffee and everything. I mean, that's weird. I think Vipassana is weird. You know, so like in reference to just talking about that, like sitting for 10 days and not looking at anybody or saying anything and doing that, that's strange. I don't know. A lot of, a lot of strange things. I tried it. I like strange, you know, if something's, if something's strange, it, it, it's typically very attractive to me. I feel that. I think it's, I, I, one of the themes of this episode in our kind of meandering conversation has been, you know, seek discomfort, I would say, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I think that's something that, that folks avoid. Most people avoid discomfort. Um, yeah. it, it has a, carries a negative connotation. And in the way that I hear you use the word discomfort or people getting uncomfortable, it's actually, I think it's something that's very positive to you um, because there's growth there. There's, there's growth at the edges. Have you ever heard of a book, Growth Mindset, Carol Dweck? It's like another no. good book. We got like a lot of book references in this one. Um, I think that's the difference between a healthy, dynamic, successful, creative person with you know longevity adaptability all these really great characteristics it's all mindset we get all of this information and then it goes through our interpretation machine the form of you know our our senses and then the stories behind our senses and then from there that determines whether you know how how you process the experience and so if you can come from a place of this is hard i don't like hard i stop and retreat you will have a very painful, contracted, unsuccessful, lonely life. Or you'll just be really comfortable and you'll sit and watch Netflix and, you know. Yeah, you know, no one wants to be around that person. Yeah, that person's like on a slow, meandering track of antidepressants and, and anxiety medication. You know, where they're just like, just pulling back into comfort, more comfort. Okay, more comfort food more comfort Netflix, more comfort shelter. All those things are great. You know, it's the pendulation thing. When you need it, Mm -hmm. if if you've rung yourself out, great, go towards comfort. Like it would be really nice to kind of come back and, you know, have a snuggle and have some soup and some rest and some Netflix. You know, and so that's, if you can be in that, that, that place of starting to renegotiate your software system on your perception of experience to actually guide you towards difficulty. You know, I was, I was, um, I was just doing a thing, um, with David Blaine, magician. Okay. And he was talking about, um, how we were, we were talking about, uh, the Texas thing and the, 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 the winter and the, to the snow, yeah. and all that stuff. And one of the things that he mentioned was like, he was like, oh yeah, you know, and they were saying how terrible it was and all that stuff. He's like, yeah, when I heard about that, the first thing I thought is how I want to go there. And I was like, that's the shit. (laughs) When you you hear that there's challenge, his software system is such, which doesn't necessarily, you know, not to say that he or anybody is better or worse or happier or lesser, you know, whatever. But I, I value and appreciate that his software system is set 
to, oh, that seems really hard. I want to go into that. You know, and an analogy would be like, this is getting kind of spiritual metaphor, whatever. But, you know, if, if you're a boat and you're in the ocean you know, and you're maybe you're trying to get past the waves, the worst possible thing that you could do or a surfboard uh, would be to go sideways. Like the waves are coming and you say, OK, let's let's get straight into it because that I can actually move through it. You know, so I think that that having if we're if we live our lives in such a way that we're kind of like sideway wave dodgers, mm. uh, you know, if you're a boat, you're going to get jacked up with that. If you're a person, um, you know, you'll probably miss out on growth. And just like back to the pendulation, you know, I also have friends that I think are just like super happy and content with, you know, with a nine to five with, you know, the wife and the dog and not really like cha- and not challenging themselves on a day to day basis. You know, like they I mean, at least externally, they seem fine. Like, I think some people are wired to seek challenge and other people are wired to seek comfort. And I think there's a, a certain level of being honest with yourself. Like there are there are folks out there that are content, you know, with with um without having to like you know run the marathon or lift the heavy weight or you know whatever even even have the intellectual challenge at work they're just they enjoy living um in in the way that they do which is i i that's not the way that i live um I it's know, just, I, I it's just different but. interpretations of challenge you know so, so challenge like you could yeah lifting weights or whatever, those are very overt, clear from the outside on an Instagram reel or YouTube video. It's like, wow, that looks hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but challenge is everywhere. S- just sitting with yourself, you know, and like more yoga talk, like the Shavasana mm-hmm. corpse pose, that's the hardest position for most people. And so, so you run through the whole thing and you're doing handstands and, you know, you're doing pelvic thrusts and you all the back for Shavasana. <laughs> you can't even Shavasana, you know mm-hmm. sitting and doing absolutely nothing most people the hardest position you know and so and so that's like what does challenge actually mean in fact and and so i, I think that that's something that like the person that is in this is an alan watts reference um for like you know dead dead mentor um one of the things that he mentioned is is the people that are deeply entwined in their like kind of small self game self, you know, the, 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 like, cool. Like I am my watch. I am my car. I am my job. I am a father. I am a, this is who I, this is everything. This is all there is. It's not right, wrong, whatever. That's just like, that's the program that person's running from one of the discourses that he did. He's like, that's the most radical psychonaut that's like the most radical adventure because they've fully bought into the game whereas someone that's like outside of that and they're kind of observing from another place and they're kind of you know leading their life in such a way that kind of goes back to more of that primordial stardust place (laughs) um, they're kind of like they're kind of like holding on to home so the person that's actually from that perception you could say the person that's the the Labrador and the picket fence and all the things 
um, that really truly is like really up in that. Like this is this is everything there ever is and ever will be. Um, from Watts's perspective, they're they're pretty radical. They're living radically. Yeah, that's that's an interesting <laughs> that's that's an interesting take. I mean, I I I feel it. Like I that that resonates. I think that um, contentment is it can be really challenging. I think for for adventure seekers and challenge seekers, right? Like there's always another mountain to climb. There's always, you know, something new. And maybe the greatest challenge is just living with the day-to-day, you know, monotony that can be life. Maybe it's finding kind of like joy in like the little areas throughout the repetitions. Well, how Um, monotonous is meditation? So. Monotonous as fuck. This is the hardest thing to do. Like that's the work. You know, so any spiritual teacher, all the books is like, just, just be with it. You know, so one person's depiction of what is deep spiritual, you know, what is and is not meditation. I think it's just your perception or your navigation of the, of the part of the experience. Everything else is minutia. You know, so cool. I skydive. I make lots of money. I have a pot wife. <laughs> I love the street. I'm homeless. I'm hungry. Mm. You're like all of those. It's like, those are all just details. At the root of that, it's okay, cool, new homework. You know, my car got robbed. All right, here's your lesson. How do you how do you navigate that? But I think the the root, it's like if you start to take on that perception that everything is is you know, work and opportunity, meditation, mm-hmm. you know, then it's it's like I don't think that the I think it's kind of a small perception to think that one person's skydiving is like more radical than another person just dealing with, you know, relationship with their dog or kids or self. I agree with that. I, I think know? that that is in its own way, creating some kind of imaginary hierarchy. Absolutely. I um, It's all story. I want to, I want to ask one last question that's been on my mind because we talked a bit about comedians. Um, and I believe that comedians in a lot of ways are modern philosophers you know, I think there's some of the closest things that we have, closest individuals we have to philosophers in our society. But one thing I've I've noticed and that struck me in this conversation is like, there's also like this, um, why, like, I guess I'm trying to phrase this as a question, like, why do you believe that many um, fitness oriented, um, you know, fitness oriented or like, where, where, what was the genesis of the philosopher kind of weightlifter? You know, like I, I feel, I, I just feel like that's something that's really prevalent now in our culture as well as like, and, and it comes across in speaking to you, like you're super well read, like you think about these things constantly, but like it started with the body. It started with, you know, with like a desire to get jacked and then it became something clearly very different. What, yeah. what do you think is the connection there? I don't think everybody's like that, but I, I think that the, the, the natural progression, if you go deep enough into a thing is it starts to expand. And so like I've been for, for me, wherever I'm at, which I think ultimately is quite nascent, you know, I feel like I'm very much, if I listen to this conversation in six months, I'd probably look back and be like, Oh man, I was, I was lost. <laughs> was we're like, all fucking lost man it's all true <laughs> yeah. you know and if that's the case that's cool that means that each day i was living in such a way that's like cool a little bit of progress a little bit of progress um you know but with anything it's not just the 
I mean, with the weightlifter thing, if say that was a thing, which I think, you know, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, that's the nature of that personality type would be wanting to go into doing a hard thing. Um, and if they start to kind of really go deep in that, eventually it starts to unfurl and open up deeper and deeper. And so with me, I started off obsessing over superficial beach muscles and abs and supplements and very like traditional like bodybuilding type approach, teaching people about that, probably hurting people in large part. Um, and just with time, eventually I go into my own injuries out of a product of going excessively deep into a particular, um, practice to the point of imbalance and then, you know, destruction. And then that forced me to learn how to start to put the pieces back together in a, in a deeper way than had I not turned the whole system to rubble. Um, you know, and then an ongoing practice from my choice of staying on a specific path and becoming a, a, a teacher, you know, and I'm also a student and, you know, all that. Um, but then the, the, the teacher role turns into a lot, a lot of fitness people that they, they teach, you know, so that's a, a teacher always learns the most. Like the teacher hands down is going to have the best student experience than anybody else in the class because they, they're forced to go through these various different questions and, you know, all the different angles of where the room of 30, 50, 10, whatever people could ask, you know, and they don't want to embarrass themselves. So they have more accountability, you know, so that was really supportive to, to go deep enough into a topic to eventually be at a, at a level where it makes sense to actually teach the topic. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I think it's just time you could be, if you sew enough or you knit enough, or again, back to Blaine, Blaine's a perfect example. Dave Blaine has become playing cards. Like he's, he, he, he is the card because he's immersed himself so deeply into that. And that was one of the things that he was breaking down was like the, you know, his philosophy of, of magic and whatnot. And, and like the, the, the deck of cards, you can, he's, you say you could base your whole life around the deck of cards, you know, and it's like the, you know, the, the four different suits or like the four seasons and it's like really elaborate poetic description of what the cards actually mm -hmm. represent. He's a goddamn philosopher, you know, and like, he's like, he's like deep in philosophy. Like listening to him is like, Whoa, like this is cool. Like you're listening to like a modern day Socrates or something. Um, and he doesn't, do any weightlifting stuff. He's just allowed himself to immerse so deeply into one specific topic that it starts to unfurl and open up in ways that he never would have been able to access had he had a more uh, topical or superficial relationship with, with the thing. Um, so I think that probably a lot of people that you're getting from that would be like people that want to have been deeply absorbed in weightlifting for a while. Um, and there might also be the kind of like, younger people that look up to those people uh, and they want to kind of replicate, mm. you know, because that's, you know, that's, that's the way I see it. I think it could be anything. It could be knitting. It could be like cockroach housing. You know, you're like deep into, <laughs> into trading homes for cockroaches. Like if you go into that, cockroaches have such a power like the best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're, yeah. I mean, they're robust creatures, but if you go yeah. deeply enough into any specific topic for, maybe say more than a decade, I think inevitably it will open up beyond just the superficial characteristics. Very cool. That 
that hits. I think that makes sense. And you're right. It's not everyone. I just, I do see kind of this broader theme. Maybe it's just the folks that I follow on social media in like the health and wellness space, but there's a lot of fitness, a lot of health has evolved into philosophy um, and spirituality. And, and maybe that's, maybe that's a great, that's pro that is probably a great thing because it's a holistic view of what the word health even means. Um, I know you got to run. It's also, it's also, it's also your echo chamber though. You know, like you're, you're attracted, yeah. to what you're attracted to. So your experience is that it's like, wow, everyone's into like, yeah, you, you spend know, some time at gold. So maybe Dina. not everybody at golds in Venice is, is, uh, oh, is like, oh my God. <laughs> the bathroom jacking themselves up with roids. Like it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. And I love those people, you know, like that's like, I love, like, that's the thing is being able to, to have appreciation and compassion and acceptance and like all the, all the spiritual shit. Like actually being able to practice that with, with every different layer of person, mm. uh, that's, you know, that's, that's, the, that's like the work, you know, like that's the thing where it's like, cool, like <laughs> I can, I can get with this, you know, I see you, I, you know, like, I think if you could do that, then life gets a lot easier. For sure. Aaron, thanks for coming on the I'm show. I'm not thinking Appreciate that I'm, I'm any like more or less anything than anybody else. You know, because ultimately that creates separation between me and the other. And, uh, you know, if you are a person that prefers to, by me saying that someone else is wrong or bad or any of that, inherently what I'm saying is that I am good or right. You know, so getting out of that and being like, oh, cool, like they, they, you know, they just are and they're on their path and they're learning the way that they are. And, uh, you know, I'm on mine. And if people are interested in learning about my path, you know, where I'm at, it seems like something that's attractive to them, then I'll be here. And, you know, if they ask, then we'll talk about it. You know, but if, if not, I'm like, I'm, I'm just keep on, we'll just keep on, you know, walking yeah. on this. It's like, there's two things that come up for me there. I mean, and I know I like, I'm conscious of time, maybe too conscious right now, but yeah. um, one thing that comes up for me is the brave, the courage to be disliked or the courage to be disagreed yeah. with, I think is something that I'm leading into in like my, in my personal growth. Um, I think that's like, that's a very particular type of courage to say like, this is my path. And you know, if, if it's not something that resonates with you, like I'm going to keep walking it and, you know, like losing ties with people for that reason, that's always very challenging for me. Um, sure. The second thing that comes up in what you said was like, it's a conversation I've been having a lot with my roommate recently is like, you know, the objectivity of truth and righteousness and whether or not there is, you know, because like, is relativism a slippery slope? Like, is it a bad thing to say that a practice is right or wrong? Um, it's and then like even right, right or wrong. Like, you first define a goal. If you have a specific outcome that you're seeking, then from there you can reverse engineer to righter or wronger. So if what you're ultimately you're saying, okay, this is where I want to get to D, then it would, then we can say, okay, cool, sweet. If you do this, you're going to go further away from D, you know? And if, if that's truly what you want, which again, this is all story. Mm. It's what you think you want. It's like what you've accepted is what I want. And you believe in D, then we can put some moralistic judgment on it if you'd like, but ultimately that's your own personal story. So you're right and my right and wrong and all that stuff. It's, it's based off of, you know, the, like your own, it's your own dream, man. Sorry for interrupting. 
No, no, that's that's man. I mean, I've done more talking on this episode than I usually do. Um, so I think that's because you're also a podcaster. So you're asking a lot of questions back and it's felt like a so like a really great conversation. So I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Yeah. yeah. Anything else you want to leave to the listeners before you you hop off? No, yeah. buy my shit. <laughs> we'll post the link to all the shit to buy. Um, <laughs> any specific item that you'd like you know, to buy? The Align Method book. Um, my virginity. It's for sale. There's a, a Mark Weinstein discount code, 15% off. It's available. <laughs> We'll see, we'll see if anybody bids on it, man. Thanks. Thanks for the time, brother. I appreciate it. All right, cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, tell people to go to my stuff, I guess. You know, listen to the podcast, Line Podcast, uh, Line Method book, uh, you know, whatever. I Typically, my the things that I have any realm of expertise, everything that we talked about in this conversation, well outside of my wheelhouse, no expertise in these channels. Uh, (laughs) that's usually how it goes on this show mechanics (laughs) movement and self-care and you know like holistic health that's really like my that's my that's that's my that's my stuff and so if people are interested in those things uh you can can tag tag all the things we've got programs we've got my virginity 25% 25% actually on the website. The fire sale. Everything oh, must go. <laughs> so that's all that can be found on the on the, the URL. Yeah, so it's it's in there. All right. Hello, Lookup listeners. One final note before we go. Thank you again for tuning in. Going forward, we'll be releasing new episodes of Lookup every Wednesday morning, Eastern Time. If you're getting value from this podcast and you want to give back to support our future, please take a moment to contribute to our community on Patreon. Our Patreon contributors have access to some great additional perks, including one-on-one meditations with yours truly. I've shared the link in the show notes below the episode. You can also find the show notes to this and previous episodes on our website, www.thelookuppodcast.com. If you can't contribute at this time, there are other helpful ways to give back. You can share this episode on social media, tag me, and or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Trust me, every review goes a long way. If you want more content, including more of my personal thoughts, you can follow me on social media, My handle on both Instagram and Twitter is at Wark Meinstein, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. Or you can subscribe to the Lookup Weekly Newsletter on my website. I'm also very responsive to email, so feel free to send questions, booking inquiries, speaking requests, and sponsorship opportunities to marc at thelookuppodcast.com. Finally, For those of you that don't know, I lead virtual yoga, breathwork, and meditation classes, as well as one-on-one coaching and teaching sessions, which you can book from the website or my social media accounts. Thank you to Sam Palumbo and Patch Kid Music for the great intro and outro tunes and for the sound engineering. Thank you, brother. And thank you to all of you listeners for continuing to support the show, for tuning in. 
And I hope that you've been enjoying this journey as much as I have.